Father in heaven, we just gather together here as the body of Christ, as your believers, as those who love you and trust you and want to worship you. May our worship this day be pleasing in your sight. And Father, I have several names on here this morning. I'm not going to read all of them because I'm going to leave somebody out and I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But Father, you know the names that are written here. You know the people who have called this week and this morning. We had three families texting and calling this morning about codes and things that are going through. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless those who couldn't be here today for whatever reason. And I pray that you will bless them and continue to protect them, guard them, provide for them, Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, for those of us who are able to gather together here today, we want to give you all thanksgiving. Father, thank you for blessing us with what's in the back. We pray that it will be a blessing to those who, who can take it, who can use it, and we pray that in some way it will reach some hearts that aren't here and cause them to be here today. Father, your word, we pray that our worship is acceptable in your sight today and pleasing. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. We want to exhort you to, to lift you up high, Father, and praise your name. So, Father, as we worship you, we pray that it is a sweet smell that arises, that our prayers, our songs, our hearts are laid open before you. I pray that this message, Father, is a message of hope for us and exhortation to the body of Christ. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. How many have heard of Ziklag? You ever heard of Ziklag? Not jet lag, Ziklag. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you want to open up your Bibles, the Word of God, to 1 Samuel chapter 27. We're going, to, we're going to be covering from 27 to chapter 30. You know, the, this is a week of Thanksgiving that, that we in America uh, call Thanksgiving from when our, our founders came over on those ships and they, they survived that first winter. And the next year, the, they, were, they planted their gardens, and the Native Americans helped with uh, showing them what to plant and what to do. And they had that fall a great harvest, and so they made a great thanksgiving unto God. And so every day is Thanksgiving Day unto God, isn't it, through our Lord Jesus Christ. But since the world, since America, is celebrating this week as Thanksgiving, what I wanted to do normally... I'll just be honest, normally I'm caught up in my own little world, and come Thursday I will go, oh, I should have gave a lesson last week on Thanksgiving. <laughs> this is probably the first time that I've ever thought ahead and said, why don't we do a message about Thanksgiving before Thanksgiving? So I struggled all week with, uh, I wanted to do it about David. Something the Holy Spirit must have been landing on my heart about David. And he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. There's, he is so much like us. And I just pray that I can be so much like him. And that God would look at me and say that uh, he's the apple of my eye. You know, and then every king that came after him was compared to him. Was he, 
was he good like David or was he evil in the sight of the Lord, not like David? So I, I love to teach about David and I was struggling all week. I was thinking of 1 Samuel chapter 17, David and Goliath. You know, the one story that, that everybody knows when you say David, it's David and Goliath. And I was thinking, there was a great celebration because that one Goliath and the armies of, of Gath and of the Philistines stood there in that valley and was challenging them. But when David conquered him through the help of God, because he said it was God who was doing the fighting and I'm just your vessel, and they chased him all and he was carrying that head around. I love to tell that story because he carried that head around everywhere with him, if you read what the word says. So afterwards, whenever they were coming back from the battle, the, every city the ladies were all coming out and they were singing a chorus back and forth between the two of them. One of them would sing, Saul has killed his thousands. And then the other ones would, would answer it with, but David has killed his ten thousands. And if you remember, that was a celebration. They was praising God for the victory that he had wrought over the enemy. And I thought, I want to talk about that. But Ziklag kept coming into my heart. David at Ziklag. And I thought, most folks probably have not heard much about David at Ziklag. So let's study that today. So while you're turning there, um, I want to start off with Psalm 118, verse 1. For Thanksgiving week. Oh give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. And his mercy endures forever. Do you know. That if you open up. The Bible. I put into Google. What's the exact center of the Bible. And it was Psalm 118. You open up Psalm 118 verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. That's the very heart. Of the Bible and the message of God, isn't it? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. How about Lamentations chapter 3 verse 23? It says it's by the mercies of the Lord that we haven't been consumed up to this point. His compassions fail not. Yea, they are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness to us. The Lord, he is my portion. My soul therefore rejoices and I hope in him. And as we enter into this place this morning, the first thing that we do is sing praises to him. Was your heart ready to sing those praises when you walked in? My favorite Thanksgiving psalm is 100. I think I learned this in weekday religious ed too way back there. This is one of them that they wanted us to, to, to look and to know was make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And the Lord knew me because he knows that that's all I can do is make a noise. You can't carry a tune to bucket, but the Lord didn't say you have to carry the tune. He just said, make a noise and make it joyful. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God, and that it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, and we are the sheep of his pasture. So enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into these courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord, he is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures for all generations. And Father, I just pray that these words of thanksgiving will abound in our hearts and that we know that you are good. 
and that your mercy endures forever and that they are renewed every day. And Father, we give you thanks and I pray that the blessings of your holy word will be upon us as we, as we study David and him going from disaster to thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Enter into his presence with thanksgiving and his court with praise. Let's take a look at the word of truth. 1 Samuel chapter 27. It begins, it lays the foundation. Our main text is going to be in chapter 30. But chapter 27 through there is what, if you want to thumb through, I'm not going to cover each verse. I'm just going to give the overflow of it. And if you want to follow along with me down through there, there's only one part I'm going to skip, and that's in chapter 28, whenever uh, Saul goes to seek the witch at Endor, because that doesn't have anything to do with David at Ziklag, and I like to do that one around Halloween anyway. So, anyway, 1 Samuel. It's a story that's not so well known, but it's one that helps us to fully trust in the Lord and to give him thanksgiving for his mercies that endure forever. Um, David and King Saul, after the Goliath episode, had deteriorated. Whenever those ladies began singing that song that, that Saul killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, all of a sudden, if you was here Wednesday night, you would have known that in chapter 30 of Genesis, we only covered two verses because it talked about the envy that Rachel had for her sister Leah because Leah was producing children and Rachel wasn't. And so we spent pretty much the entire night about jealousy, envy, the sins of the heart. The sin of the heart got to King Saul because of what David had done. Everyone else was afraid. And now the women were singing these songs. And he said, what, what more? They've attributed to me only a thousand and him ten thousands. And what more can this man have now except my throne and the kingdom? And so from that day forward, it says, it began to eye him. From that day and forward the rest of the time. And, a, and actually a mental illness began forming across him because of this. For King Saul, the, the relationship had deteriorated. At this very point, Saul had been out with about six, I know it's 3,000 men, I believe. He was out with 3,000 men trying to chase after David and his 600 men to conquer them and to, to kill David because he was after him. He thinks he's after the kingdom of God. So David and his men have been on the run. They've been hiding out. They've been seeking. David got the mental attitude of fear within him. Fear causes us and drives us to do things that we shouldn't ought to do. Fear is the exact opposite of trust in God. So instead of Goliath was such a huge man, strong, everything that would say strike fear, and David wasn't fearful. But I always like to tell you that after your great victories, after your great spiritual victories in Christ, and you think, oh man, I was able to withstand that. Or look at what the Lord blessed me with this time. Get ready because that's when we're at our weakest moment and he's going to stab you right through the heart with something. And right there, Saul was nowhere near the threatening countenance of a Goliath and David had no fear and rushed at him, but he was afraid of Saul and he ran away. Do not let your victories turn in 
to defeat later on. And so he is on the run and he is fearful. And the man who had said to Goliath, Today I will feed your carcass to the buzzards and all of the Philistines because the Lord, my God, is going to fight for us, the God of Israel, and everyone will know that there is a God in Israel. The same man now is running from a lesser man because he has forgot to trust in the God who had won him those victories. And so he made some stupid decisions. In 1 Samuel 27, what he does is instead of trusting in the Lord as God, he starts trusting in his own decisions, other people, and even the enemies of God instead of going to God. So in chapter 27, what he did is he went to the Philistines, the same people that were the people of Gath of Goliath. He goes over there to King Achish and he says, King Saul has been after me. I am in a, in a warfare with him. I want to side with you. He begins sleeping with the enemy. He says, is there any place around here that you can give to me and my men and we will pledge our allegiance to you and I will fight with you and I will fight for you and we will begin to take care of you and to help you. And he said, sure there is. There's a place called Ziklag. And it says that he gave him Ziklag to be their home. And so they established their home there. And he had been there for 16 months. 16 months he and his family and his 600 men and their families were staying in Ziklag. And he was playing a little bit of the strap-on artist in between though because he would tell uh, Achish, and the Philistines that he was actually going down and making roads into Judah and into some of the area of Israel. But what he was doing was going to the Girgashites and some of the other ones and actually destroying their cities, killing every one of them so no one could escape and tell otherwise to Achish and, and the Philistines what he was really doing. And by saying that I was doing all of this, David was presenting himself as an enemy to Israel and Judah and God's people. And it says that Achish began to trust him with all of his heart because he believed David. And so David was playing the strap on with him. He wasn't actually doing what he was saying. And all of this is going on for about 16 months. Now it comes a time that the Philistines are getting ready to go and do battle against King Saul and Israel. And all of the mighty men, the princes of the army of the Philistines, they all gather together with Achish. And they're getting ready to go to war. And all of a sudden, those leaders of the armies of the Philistines look over there and they say, who are these Hebrew guys that are here? And Achish says, that's David and his men. You know him. He's, he's going to be in the rear road with me, guarding me. And they're like, no, he's not. And he says, Why? He's been here for 16 months with us and nothing has happened. He has proven himself to be loyal to me. I can put my trust in him. I want him to guard me. Who better? He said, we are the Philistines. This is this is picture artist rendition of one of those captains when they're getting ready to dump David. He said, we are your army. We are the Philistines. I don't trust him. He is a Hebrew. Yeah, he might be at odds with King Saul right now. But what happens if he changes his mind? 
What happens if he becomes a turncoat? What happens is while we're out there on the battlefield that he begins to say, I could get back in good with Saul and Israel if I bring the heads of these guys. You see what he's thinking? He knew that he took the head of Goliath. And he says, what if he takes our heads or your head, O king, and takes it back to Saul? Maybe it'll bring him back into good charms with them again. What if he thinks about that? Is this not the man? Now you begin to see the anger of these generals, the princes of the Philistines that are under him. They said, is this not the man that all of their women sang the songs saying Saul killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands? And what he's basically saying by that is, those were my men. Those were our men that was out there on that hill lined up with Goliath facing them. And so whenever they're singing about David killing his tens of thousands, that's my men, my family, our families. The widows might even still have been weeping over their husbands or over their sons. And this man is not going into war with us. I don't trust him at all. Achish comes to David. Says, David, I got some bad news. David says, Well, are we getting ready to go to war? I'm, I'm going to be guarding you. And he says, No. The princes of the Philistine armies don't want anything to do with you. They don't trust you. They say that you shouldn't be here. They want you to go away. And David says, Why? What have I done? I've been with you all of this time, and my men, we've took care of you. Every, everything's been hunky dory. Why? He says, They just don't trust you anymore. They didn't realize that you was going to be here in this battle against your people. It's not me. In my sight, you are like an angel of God that was sent to me to protect me and to help me. And I am so thankful that you've been here. But David, you must go so that it does not cause a commotion with my army. They don't want you here. So they dumped David, got rid of him. David was heartbroken. But it was the proper thing for God to have done in intervening in his life. You know, sometimes we think that we're on the right track. And God has to provide a fork in the road to lead us to where we need to be and not where we thought we ought to be, doesn't he? Because what would have happened if David would have joined in with the battle of the Philistines against Saul and something would have happened? What would have? Maybe he wouldn't have been the king. And he went after Saul. Guess who the lineage of Jesus Christ comes through? David. He could not taint himself that way. His bad decisions. The, the farther fear went into his life, the more bad decisions he began to make, the farther he began to get away from the principles of God and who and what he was before his sight. He was about ready to throw away the messiahship lineage through him. And God couldn't allow that to happen. So God moved the heart of these men to say he is not going with us. He's not going to be a part of this. God protected him. So David and the men, they began leaving. They, it's a three days journey or, or more. It was quite a, a trek to leave from there and to get back to Ziklag to where they're going. So the men start going back to Ziklag, and that's where our text picks up in chapter 30, if, if you're there with me. 
Chapter 30 and verse 1 begins our story where it says, It came to pass that when David and his men got home to Ziklag, about three days later they were met with a horrible sight. The Amalekites had attacked all of the southern region and they had burned Ziklag with the fire. When I read this, I had several things that come across my mind. One was, how much more can a man take? The other thing was, was I began to think about, you've been gone for quite a while preparing for this battle from your home, your family, from your place of refuge, your city. And as you get ready to come, I'm wondering, did they see off in the distance some wisps of smoke still going up from where the city had burned? Wonder if all of a sudden that adrenaline in their hearts and even more fear began to pound and, and they rushed and they hustled up to the city. And I couldn't imagine that if I'd have been gone for a while and I came back home and the entire city of like Perrigan and Martinsville was burned down. Every home destroyed. Nothing left. But more importantly than that, our families, where are they at? All the men were with him. No one was left behind to take care of the women and children. What happened to them? Not only is all of our homes up in smoke, but they searched and there was not a woman or a child left there. And I'm sure that now the, even the more fear set in of what happened to them. Did they take them off and kill them somewhere? Did they pillage him and, and do bodily harm to him and torture him before that? What happened to our family? If you were in that situation, what's the first thing you would do? I don't, huh? Yeah. That would be probably my second thing. Because I'd probably do what David and his family and the men did at first. I'd probably cry. When they saw everything and everybody was gone, he should have went after him. But there, that's the next thing he's going to do. But that's part of his trip back to God. Because for an entire, I don't know how long, I think a, a day or more, it says all they did was weep. And they weeped exceedingly because of the heartache of all of their families being gone and their city burned down and not knowing. You see, verse 2 will tell you that, that the Amalekites did take the women and children, but they hadn't done anything to them. They took them captive. David and his men does not know that. As they arrive on the scene, they have no idea what's happened to the families. And they weep, and they weep exceedingly. And they keep weeping all day long. David weeps until something happens. You know what he began to hear? Whispers. You know what the whispers were? Let's stone him. You know, we got to blame somebody, don't we? It's somebody's fault. He's the one that got us out here. He's the one that told us to go up there, join to the king. He's the one that left no one here protecting the women and children. We always figure it'll make us feel a little bit better if somebody else takes the brunt of what we think happened to us, and that'll make me feel better. So there's got to be a scapegoat. So they began to blame David. And the whispers were, and he could hear them talking. They want to stone me. 
I think of that old song. Anybody remember that, that old hymn that says, Where could I go but to the Lord? This is where David begins to go to the Lord. David begins now, it says, if you look at verse 6, the last half of verse 6 on there, they were so distressed and grieved, every man for his sons and daughters, and they, they spake of stoning him. You give me that next slide, Jerry. At this point, the word of God says, but now David began to encourage himself in his God. Where do you go? I couldn't imagine you're running from Saul. Now the men of the Philistines don't trust you. Your home has been burnt down. Your wives and your families are gone. You don't know what's happened to them. And now the men want to stone you. Don't get much more stressful than that. This is what he should have done two years ago before he started running. Was begin encouraging him in the Lord. The same God that took care of him with the lion and the bear out there in the pastures when they came after his sheep. The same God that had him to slay Goliath and said the battle is the Lord's. He forgot all of that and walked away from it. When you begin walking away from God and making your own decisions, you want to fit in with some crowds. You want to, you want to seek their advice and, and to begin finding some camaraderie. But what you're going to find is that you can't trust no one. Usually, when times get bad, people are fickle. They'll, they'll cheer Peyton Manning one week whenever he was here, and the next week when he throws three interceptions, they'll boo him off the field. People... And their emotions are fickle. But the God's mercy endures forever. He's the one that you've got to place your trust and hope in. And you've got to remember that people are going to have good days and bad days. And you don't place your trust in them. David now begins to encourage himself in the Lord. And I love what that word for encouragement means. The, the word for encouragement means to be fixed upon it means to be fastened to to seize to hold to be strengthened and then it goes to being cured by being fixed to something like a door that falls off and you fix those hinges to something solid now it has the ability you've healed it you've cured it and it has something that it can hold on to and it won't fall off that's what this word means he began now to occupy his mind with the Lord Jesus Christ instead of everything else that had been taking him off by the wayside. He began to encourage and fastening himself within the Lord. Now, praise God that he had to go through this for our benefit and learning so that we don't do the same mistakes that he did. After all the mistakes, getting himself into a helpless and hopeless situation he now realizes the truth of that I have to place my trust and my refuge in God. He is my shield and he is my strong reward. He looked at Achish. He looked at Ziklag as his city of refuge where he and his men could be. And what happened? The enemy, our enemy, the common enemy, tore it down and took away and stripped everything from us. 
When David began to encourage himself in the Lord, he began his road back to replacing and rejuvenating everything that began to be lost. You and I can do the same thing, and it's just as easy as he did. He began encouraging himself in the Lord, and you know how we do that? 1 John chapter 1. I love this chapter. John, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, says, I want to write to you about something. I need to tell you, verse 4, that your joy, your thanksgiving might be full when you realize that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You cannot have fellowship with darkness and say that you're going to be in the light and have fellowship with God. David found that out. The further he got from the light and walked with the enemy, the further away he got. You can't have fellowship with both. There is no darkness in God. But it says, but if we turn to the light as he is in the light, we now can have fellowship one with another and the blood of Christ, his son, cleanseth us. That's a continual motion. When we are walking in the light, it doesn't mean that we're not going to stumble. What it means is our heart is set on the right way and we are trying to follow that light. And every time I make a misstep, the blood continually cleanseth us. It's a, it's a continuation word that as long as we're there, it continually flows to cleanse me. And it says... That God is faithful and just that if I confess my faults to him as I'm on that road and seeking that light. That he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And that means the things that I didn't confess because I didn't realize that they were there. I didn't know those things. But when I confess a fault and ask for the forgiveness, the blood of Christ cleanses me from everything, even the, the known and the unknown things. And then I am walking back in the light with him. And now God begins those promises. I'm going to take everything and work it together for your good. I'm, I'm going to be able to have you to rejoice. I am going to turn cursings slowly into blessings. You've got to work your way through these things and allow me to lead you to those things. So now, the next thing we do. David turns to the minister of God and to the word of God. Verse 7. David calls for Abiathar the priest. And oh, the story I could tell you there. I could tell you the story of what happened. You remember David at Nob? That was the second lesson I ever gave here five years ago, almost to the day. David at Nob, Doeg the Edomite. David lied there again. And all of the priests of God were slain, except for Abiathar, the son of Ahithaman. His father was the high priest. He ran. He was the only one that made it because David lied Doeg told King Saul about it and Saul came and killed all the all the priests so but Abiathar came back to David and David repented of those sins that's why God loved David so much and Abiathar stood by his side even after everything that happened and he's still here with him out here and in verse 7 he calls for the priest of God the man of God and he says, bring the ephod. You know what the ephod represents? The word of God. 
You see, back in Moses' day when God told him to, to, to have a, that there's going to be a high priest and that the priesthood would come through the lineage of Aaron and that I want you to make this breastplate that had the 12 stones of the 12 tribes and it was going to be attached to an ephod, which is like a jacket. It's kind of almost like one of those ones that, that, um, that you see from the Spanish folks that uh, in the Western movies where you got the head that goes through it and you got the front and the back to it and your arms out the side. So you've got, you've got the ephod that has the breastplate of righteousness, the 12 stones on there. And then on each shoulder, you, you had these uh, stones, the onyx stones that was put on there. One stone had the twelve, or had six of the 12 tribes. The other stone had the other six. And then the 12 colors of the 12 tribes was here. And that was the ephod of God. And what would happen, the Urim and Thummim was a part of it. And it was a, it was a vestige of lights. And you see, they didn't have the Bible like we do to open up and turn to a, to a page to, to seek an answer to our questions that we have about what would God have me to do in this situation. So what they had was the priests. They had the, the ones who taught the priests were the ones who taught the word of God to the people and performed the sacrifices for them. And then the ephod was God's active word with them. So that it would reveal things whenever they brought it. If God wanted it to be revealed. So David said bring me the word of God Abiathar. Bring it to me. You see he's turned. He's repented. He's now beginning to trust in God his savior. Instead of in Achish. Instead of the Philistines or anyone else. And he turns and Abiathar brings the ephod. And he asks him. He says, he asked the ephod, I'm seeking an answer from God. And he says, and they, it would light up with the answers. It, would, it was a vestige of light because God is light. And he would light up the answers and give the answers in there. And he asked him, he said, should I pursue him? In other words, he's wanting to know, is my family and our families safe? Is there a reason to go after him? And will I catch him even if I do go after him? And the answer to both of them came back. Look what your Bible says up there. It says that God responded to him. He said in the last half of verse 8, Pursue them, David. Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them. And, now here's a promise. Remember how we're always talking about the promises of God and in his word that is written for us and that we can rely on them. Here's a promise that God makes through that ephod and through his word. He said, David, you will pursue them. You will overtake them and you will recover all. None will be lost. Oh, there's a message that's going on right there, too, and that he's going to recover all and none is lost. I remember the Lord Jesus thanking God the Father that everyone that he's going to commit into his hands, he's going to lose none of them. David is a representative of our Lord in that respect. God's saying you're going to recover all of them. Go. So praise God. Now he stood before those very men who was whispering that I'm going to stone him for what was going on. And he begins to tell them about the word of God. 
he begins to lead a revival in the hearts of those 6,000 or 600 men and saying, God and his word has spoken to us. I have repented. And I'm sorry that we've got into this mess. But now God is on our side and he said, pursue and we will overtake them and we will recover all and there will be a rejoicing and a thanksgiving because we will receive our families back. And so they began riding hard. But these men have been out on the camp of the Philistines. They had a three-day ride to get back home. They found all of this stuff that was going on at home and they've wept all day and night. And now they're riding hard again to go get their family and they are so exhausted that the word of God says that 200 of them, when they got to the brook Besor, that they couldn't even make it across, that they were so famished. You talk about trusting in God, you're going out against an entire army with men who can't even cross the brook because they're so tired and famished and weary and their soul has been depleted. So the 200 men stay back to guard their things. They've learned a lesson. We're not going to take you, you. We're going to leave our stuff with you. You guard it while the 400 of us go on. And they finally, as they're going out, you know, if you're on the right track and you've repented and, and you, you're, you've asked God to forgive you of your sins, he's cleansed you of all unrighteousness, you begin to have that fellowship with God. He will give you little clues that you're on the right path if you open your eyes to him. You'll see a little blessing here or there. You'll hear something that, that tells you something that you've been thinking of or that's been going on in your life and you'll say, that's a God wink. That's a God wink. Yeah. So now they get out there and here's the clue that happens. Out in the middle of the wilderness, they come across a little Egyptian man that's laying there. He's been sick. So they, they find in verse 11, this lone Egyptian out in the field. What's he doing here? What's been going on? So they bring him back to King David. No, David's not king yet. But they bring him back to David. David says, give him some bread. Give him some water. You know, you, if you've been sick and famished, you can't stand real food for the first thing you put in your mouth. So what he tells him is, give him a little bit of bread and water to get him nourished. Get him, get him up to speed. After he got to feeling a little bit better from that, they gave him some raisin cakes and some figs and stuff. And now all of a sudden he's starting, it says, to regain his spirit. He, get, he begins to regain his spirit. And David asked him, said, what's going on here? And he said, I got sick a little over three days ago. My master, I, I was a servant to an Amalekite. And my master has left me here to die basically because I got sick. And for three days and three nights, I haven't moved. Anytime you say, see three days and three nights in the word of God, you begin to think of the resurrection, the DBR, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And what's the death and the burial and the resurrection mean? It means redemption. It means a change is about ready to happen. A change from the world had been lost in sin, but Christ arose again, and now he's paid the penalty. So a change is getting ready to happen in here. And so he says, for three days and three nights he left me. 
And, I, and then you guys came, and now my spirit is beginning to get renewed. I wonder why. Because it's speaking of redemption. It's speaking of the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus and who is our, our, the one that we follow, our Christ, the Messiah. And he said, hmm, three days and three nights. And he said, whom, in verse 13, David says, to whom do you belong? From whence are you? And he says, I'm a young Egyptian man, but I've been a servant to this Amalekite guy, and he left me. Once you know that the Amalekites are the enemy of God from way back, they was, they was going after him even in the wilderness in Egypt. And they was always the thorn in the flesh of them, just like the devil's the thorn in our flesh. He, they kind of represent the enemy of God, the Amalekites do. And he says, my servant left me here to die. I want you to know that just like David with the Philistines and he had lost that trust, If you think that you can go into this world and make friendship and have camaraderie and have fun and get the things that you want out of life, I want you to know that you are serving a master who does not care at all for you. You're serving a master that as soon as he gets done using you and abusing you and you get sick, he's going to to cast you off like he did Judas and leave you there to die because he doesn't care about you at all. He has no feelings for you and he doesn't care to just leave you behind and let you die. I don't want to serve a master like that. I want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to serve God who loved me so much that he gave his son to die for me. That's the master that I want to serve. David says, oh my. He says, what all did you do? And he says, we attacked here, we attacked here, and we burnt Ziglag down. Well, I know in some other cases, whenever someone told the truth, David punished him for it. But not this guy. He knew he was just a servant to the real people who did it. So he doesn't go after him. He says, can you lead me to him? Will you take me there? You know what the young man told him? Can I trust you? <laughs> Can I trust you? Here's, here's the man who used to have the trust of all of Israel whenever he slew Goliath. When he went away from God, he lost the trust of the enemy, even the Philistines. And now he has this young man say, Can I trust you? If I lead you to where they are, will you not kill me? And will you not turn me over to that master again? Because I no longer want anything to do with him. My spirit's been renewed through what you've just done for me. David said, I promise. You can trust me now. Because I'm following God and you can trust me. You just take me there. So it says that the young man began taking them there. And then it it says, uh, verse 17, David, here comes the reckoning. God always gets the reckoning in at last, doesn't he? David smote them from twilight until the evening of the next day. You see, whenever it says that they arose in the two verses before that, that he led him there, it says when they came into that valley and they looked, it says there they were spread all abroad. It was the party crowd. It was the world's party crowd that was out there. 
it says that they were drinking, they were eating, and they were dancing. Why? Because of the pillage that they had taken from the camp of God. Satan loves it when he can take us captive and hold the people of God into his, into his chains. They were all celebrating this. And David looks out there and says, here comes the reckoning. Because we're back in God's stead. And he smote them from twilight that evening until the next evening. And not a man escaped into them except 400 who had some camels and rode off. And I wrote here as a note. Something deeper is going on with that verse. I haven't got to it yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't revealed it. But David had 400 men. He left 200 back there and he had 400 come in. 400 of these men escape on camels. Something's going on. One day if the Lord reveals it, we'll learn. But the 400 men left, but everyone else was slain. And David got the reckoning. In verse 18, you remember the promise of God when he asked the word of God, do I pursue Will I overtake? And you remember that, that the promise of God was you pursue, you will overtake, and you will recover what? Oh, look up there at verse 18. David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and he rescued his two wives. The word of God will always stand true. It will always stand true. God says you will recover all. You're going to recover all. And he did. And then it says he, they, they took it from the enemy. The Lord always recovers all. They had him captive. There was none left behind. There was not a son or a daughter or a wife that was left behind. That was slain. Who was not recovered in all of this. Plus all of theirs their possessions, and they got to pillage all of the possessions of the enemy. What a great story that is, amen? Isn't that, don't you think that there was a celebration that night in the camp of David because they recovered all by the blessings of God and it was all because they returned to God and started trusting in him and his word to guide them for that. And they set the captives free, you know? That's the way we were. That's the story of us, isn't it? We were all captives held in sin, weren't we? As we get ready to close, Satan, ever since the garden, had us captive in, in sin. Jesus, a lot of people don't believe that today. Even the Pharisees of Jesus' day didn't believe that. Jesus said to them in John chapter 8, verse 32, If you will continue in my word, when did things change for David? When he started getting into the word of God and changing, didn't it? If you will continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free from the captive of sin that we had. Free from what? Sin. These men that were standing there before Jesus said, What are you talking about? Says we ain't never been captive to anyone. We've not been slaves, servants to anyone. Well, that's a lie. Were you not in Egypt? Were you not in Nebuchadnezzar's court? They said, but we, we are sons of Abraham. We have never been captive. And Jesus said, you've been. Whoever commits sin is a servant of sin. But if the Son sets you free, 
you are free indeed. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he paid that penalty for our sins so that we could become now his possession. And he reclaim us all as David reclaimed all that had been lost. The Lord reclaims it all. And it wasn't in my, my lesson, but I'm going to go here anyway because I've thought about it all week. When we come to God in salvation or when we return to God as David did and to his word, you know what happens in heaven? A celebration or rejoice. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who turns and repents unto God. How about it says that whenever someone turns to God, that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Do you remember whenever the prodigal son who had been gone and he says, I'm going to return to the father and he returned back to the father. Do you remember what the father did? He rejoiced. He made a celebration feast. I want you to think about Thanksgiving is not only about us, but Thanksgiving. God has a Thanksgiving every time we turn to him. So as as our worship team comes on up. And we get ready to take this message with us. Titus 3. We've been saved according to his mercy. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and through renewing of our spirit through the Holy Spirit of God. So don't you know that that's when we come and we are washed in regeneration and baptism and then our spirit is renewed. That's the same promise that Peter gave in Acts chapter 2. It says, uh, told him, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not by anything we've done. It's all by his work that that is done. We are restored. We are renewed. We are paid for. And I like this one, the last slide that I have on here. Thanksgiving is about giving thanks to God for his unspeakable gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray that this day that the word of God and that, that this story of David and Ziklag and what it represents to us encourages and edifies you. And I praise that it has glorified God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to start or stop where we started in Psalm 18 in the middle of our Bible. Actually... It all worked together for good because Psalm 18 is a song or 118 is a psalm that David penned after all of these troubles that he had with Saul and with Ziklag and everything else. And later on, when he was penning these through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is a psalm that represented the reflection of all of those times. And it says this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endureth forever. Let them that fear the Lord. You fear the Lord? Let them that fear the Lord then rejoice. His mercy endures forever. I called upon the Lord in the time of my distress. We just read about that. I encouraged myself. I called upon him and the Lord answered me. The Lord is on my side. He's on our side. I will not fear what man can do to me. I have found it is better to trust in the Lord than to put my confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than even in princes. They all dumped 
David and said, we don't want him fighting with us. Therefore, God, thou art my God, and I will praise thee. I will exalt thee. I will give you praise because you are good. Your mercy endures forever. Amen. Father, Your word is so explicit that it contains everything that we need for life and godliness. May David and the story of Ziklag be a story of thanksgiving in our life that we can learn from. I pray that none of us ever go through the things that he went through right there. I pray that we learn from him, learn from you, that we need to always place our trust in you, rejoice in you, have thanksgiving in you for what you've done for us through your son, to trust in you and your word and not into the things of this world that wants to call us out away from you. So, Father, help us in our walk. Help us to stay in the path that we walk in the light as you are in the light. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that continually cleanses us from our sins. I pray, Father, that if there are those here today who have not been washed and regenerated by the blood of your Son and made that confession of faith and have been baptized into Christ, I pray that they will do that at this moment. That there might be thanksgiving and joy in the heavenly realm. And Father, I pray that the rest of us as we walk in that path, that I pray that you will keep us in the path, that you will protect us that you will guide us and that you will guard us. And Father, we're confident in your word that it says that none of us will be lost, but Jesus is going to recover us all. We pray for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.